All right, well, on that note, let's get into the teaching of the Word this morning. We're going to get back into our series that we've been in called Bitter or Better. You decide. Bitter or Better. Every single one of us has a choice. We can make choices that make us more bitter and make our lives more painful, or we can make choices that make us better and make our lives more fruitful and more productive. And I believe, Kauai Bible Church, that all of us can choose to be better. Our verses for this series have been Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, which says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. We can choose to put aside bitterness and anger and wrath, and we can choose instead to put on kindness and compassion and forgiveness. And again, I'm not just talking about human effort here that we can just conjure up kindness in our, in our will and conjure up kindness in our own strength. No, but when we make the choice to put away bitterness and we make the choice to take on kindness and forgiveness, the Holy Spirit is going to empower those decisions and the Holy Spirit is going to partner with us and allow us to do those things. And so the first message in this series, we looked at the poison of grumbling and complaining and how that poison can not only infect our hearts, but how it can spread to those around us. And we challenged all of us, let's choose to be better. Let's choose to stop spreading the poison of grumbling and complaining. In our second message, we talked about offenses, that all of us probably every day is going to have an opportunity to be offended. But when we choose to take that offense and to hold on to that anger, we're actually springing the trap that the devil has set for us. And instead of living in the freedom that Jesus set us free for, as followers of Christ, we're actually living inside of a cage. And living in that cage, it's affecting our relationships. It's affecting our mental health. It's affecting our relationship with God. And so we finish that message by encouraging all of us to repent of our offenses that we have held on to and then to move towards forgiveness. And that's going to lead us into today's message, which is all about forgiveness. So if you missed those first two messages, go back and listen to those. And, and then today, let's get into this concept of forgiveness. The title of this message is Off Your Hook. Off Your Hook. And we're going to talk about in just a second what that means. If you've got your notes with you, which we sent out the notes to all of our KBC members, but the notes are also attached to the video on our website or the notes are also in our app. In our notes, let's start out by defining forgiveness. Before we get into this teaching on forgiveness, we want to have a good definition that we're all working with. And so here it is. Forgiveness is releasing or canceling all debt that someone owes you. It's releasing or canceling all debt that someone owes you. And so if it's a physical debt, it's pretty easy to picture, right? If somebody owes you $20, and you say, you know what, that's okay. You don't have to pay me back that $20 anymore. That's forgiveness. You have released them from that debt. They no longer owe it to you. But it's a lot harder to conceptualize forgiveness when we think about how that applies to emotional debts, to spiritual debts, to personal wounds that we're holding on to. When we can say about somebody, they don't owe me anything anymore. They don't owe me an apology. They don't have to suffer for my sake. 
They don't owe me anything. True forgiveness is no strings attached. That means that if you're saying, well, you know what, I'll forgive them when they apologize. No, that's not forgiveness. Or I'll forgive them and we'll see what happens. No, that's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is no strings attached. In Psalm 103.12, it says, As far away as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That's no strings attached forgiveness. As far away as the east is from the west. If you can picture this, if you have a globe, and if you're traveling north on that globe, pretty soon you're going to cross over the North Pole, and the moment you cross over the North Pole, you're going to be heading south. And if you're heading south, Sooner or later, you're going to cross over the pole and be heading north again. What that means is, is on the globe, there's actually two points on the globe where north and south touch. But if you're on that same globe and you're heading east, no matter how far you go, you're always heading east. And if you're heading west, no matter how far you go, you're always heading west. You see, east and west never touch. And that's what God was talking about when he says true forgiveness means that whatever that hurts, that sin, that wound, that offense is, will never touch that person again. You are separated from it. That's true forgiveness. Now, where did I get this sermon title from? Well, I have to admit, this isn't my own. I actually got this from Pastor John Zimmerman, who said this, forgiveness is taking someone off your hook and putting them on God's hook, right? If you're out fishing, and I don't fish a lot, and so when I do catch something, it's very exciting, right? And so when you get a fish on your line, there is a rush. Oh my goodness, you get your pole, you set the line, you start reeling it in. There's that excitement about having a fish on the line. And the truth is, is the same thing can happen even when we're holding on to a hurt, when we're holding on to an offense or something that somebody did to us. There's actually a, a rush, a rush of adrenaline. Uh, feeling angry can bring that rush on. But here's the thing. If I reel that fish in, and now I got that fish hanging from my hook, and I just leave it on my hook, and I just take it home with me, and I set my pole in the garage, and that fish is still hanging on my hook, the rush is gone, but now that fish is going to start to stink. And it's going to start to stink up every part of my life because everything is going to smell like rotten fish. You see, that's what it's like when we hold on to our hurts and our pains and we refuse to forgive somebody. You might get a rush out of it at first, but after a while it's going to start to stink and it's going to affect every area of your life. So what do we need to do? We need to get that fish off of our hook. Get that fish off of your hook and put it on God's hook. Let God take care of whatever that situation is. Let God deal with whoever that person is. You don't need to carry it around with you anymore. So what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to dive into just a couple of scripture verses that deal with forgiveness. And then I want to get real practical with us. And you can see in your notes two really practical things I want to deal with. One is why we choose not to forgive. And the other is the process of actually forgiving somebody. So if you got your Bibles, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 6. And a pretty simple, straightforward passage here in Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. 
It says, for if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. This is a very straightforward verse, but it should also be a very frightening verse for us. Because what it's saying is that our forgiveness from God is dependent on how we forgive others. Why does Jesus say this right here in verses 14 and 15? Because he just finished teaching the Lord's Prayer. And a part of the Lord's Prayer in verse 12 is, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Another way of saying that is, forgive us our sins in the same way that we forgive those who have hurt us. And then after sharing that as part of our prayer life, Jesus expounds on it here in verses 14 and 15. Why is this scary? Because this means that the level of forgiveness for our own sins is directly related to how easily and how freely we forgive those who have hurt us. And therefore, if we're holding on to unforgiveness, that means that our sins aren't forgiven. And if our sins aren't forgiven, then we don't have an eternity promised for us with God because we know that our sins separate us from God. That's a scary thought. The theologian Craig Blomberg says this, our plea for continued forgiveness as believers, requesting the restoration of fellowship with God following the alienation that sin produces is predicated on our having forgiven those who have sinned against us. As verse 15 stresses, without this interpersonal reconciliation on the human level, neither can we be reconciled to God. Forgiveness is required for those who have been forgiven by God. We're not given the luxury of being allowed to hold on to our bitterness towards other people. We don't have that luxury anymore. Let's continue with this thought. Colossians chapter 3. Verses 12 and 13 says, So, as those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. It says, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. Listen, as followers of Christ, we are the people of God. And this language, chosen of God, holy and beloved, is, is reflective of how God referred to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, anybody who chooses to follow Christ, we become God's chosen people. We become holy and beloved. And as God's chosen people, our character and the way that we choose to live our lives should be a reflection of God's character and how he has treated us. And so in this passage, it gives us seven character traits, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. And the amazing thing about all seven of these character traits is all seven of them can only be practiced in relationship with other people. There's a lot of other great character traits that we could take on. Right? There could be cleverness and creativity. There could be industriousness and being hardworking and having a great work ethic. And there could be uh, intelligence and, and, and problem solving. 
But you know what? None of those character traits require you to be in relationship. Those we can all do by ourselves. These character traits that God lists here in Colossians chapter 3 require us to be in relationship. Why? Because God knows that we can't experience the fullness of who we're supposed to be if we're not in community with other believers. And to be in healthy community, we need all of these character traits. And a critical character trait for us to be in healthy community is forgiveness. Again, this is our choice. It says we can put on compassion, kindness, humility, and so on. And in this passage, the writer Paul is actually using the illustration of taking off old clothes and putting on new clothes. And so we're taking off the old character traits and the old way we used to live, the old way we used to treat people, and we're putting on a new coat, new clothes, new character traits, and the new way that we're going to treat people. So what does this say about forgiveness? First off, we want to look at that word forgive. The Greek word that is used here, and I'm just going to pretend like I know how to pronounce Greek, is harizomai. Harizomai. And harizomai can be translated forgiveness, but it can also be translated giving grace, but it can also be translated to give something freely. For example, in Romans 8.32, it says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? That same word, harizomai, is translated freely give us. So there's an aspect of forgiveness that it has to be freely given, right? Forgiveness that is earned is not forgiveness if it's not freely given. Forgiveness that is conditional is not forgiveness because it must be freely given. The same word harizomai is used one chapter earlier in Colossians. In chapter 2 and verse 13, it says this, When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh... He, Jesus, made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. The same word forgiven us is harizomai. So what does that mean? That means that the forgiveness that we show has to be the same kind of forgiveness that Jesus showed. Right? And Jesus gave us forgiveness before we ever asked for it. He gave us forgiveness before we ever deserved it. He gave us forgiveness that completely wiped away that thing so that it was no longer attached to us. And that's the same kind of forgiveness we should share with others before they ask for it, before they deserve it, and so that that thing will never be attached to them again. We must forgive just as Jesus forgave us. As the Lord forgave you, so also should you forgive. I also find it interesting that it says forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint. You notice here, it's only talking to the person who has a complaint, not to the person who did the wounding, not to the person who did the offending, only the person who had the complaint. You see, there's two parties involved in any unforgiveness, any unforgiven offense. There's the person who did the offense and there's the person who's holding on to the offense. Each person is only responsible for their part in the outcome, for their part in the situation. That means that we, as the ones who are holding on to the offense, we are responsible for whether we forgive it or not. The person who hurts you 
is not responsible for whether you forgive it or not. They'll stand responsible for God for what they've done, but they have no part to play in whether you choose to forgive it. That is entirely up to you. And so that's why Paul here is simply writing to the one who has the complaint, the one who is holding on to the offense. It's up to us to choose to let it go. It's up to us to choose that. The last passage I want to look at is Matthew chapter 18. And I'm not going to read the whole passage because it's long, but it's verses 21 through 35. And it starts out in 21 and 22 where it says, Then Peter came and said to Jesus, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Right, I like how Peter throws a suggestion in there. You know, seven's the number of completion. So seven would be a good number. I should forgive him seven times, right? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven times, up to 490 times, you forgive your brother for the same offense. Over and over again, you forgive them. And then Jesus goes into a parable to teach this. And in the parable, there is a servant who owes his master a large sum of money. And in this parable, Jesus actually uses exaggeration to get his point across. Because the amount of money that the servant owes his master is 10,000 talents. Why is that exaggeration? Because one talent, a single talent, was 15 years of wages. 15 years that a common worker would have to work. So that means that 10,000 talents, that's like 150,000 years of wages. Why would a master ever even let a servant borrow that much money? Right? And so that's why we can see that Jesus is using exaggeration here. And so the master calls the slave in and says, I am calling in my debts and I'm going to throw you into prison to pay back what you owe. And the servant laid himself at the master's feet and begged for forgiveness. Please, please don't throw me in prison. Please don't throw my wife and children into prison. Please don't do this. And the master has compassion on him and forgives the entire debts, 150,000 years worth of wages, forgives the entire debts. So what does this servant do? Is he full of gratitude for all that he's been forgiven? No, it says he goes to another one of the servants who owes him 100 denarii. How much is a denarius? It was about a day's wages. So this guy owes him about three months worth of wages. Three months compared to 150,000 years. And he has this other servant thrown into prison to pay for his debts. He was forgiven this ridiculous amount, but for this small amount, he had no forgiveness. So what happens? The master hears about it. And this is where I want to pick it up in verse 33. When the master... Let's actually, let's pick it up in 32. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. 
And then Jesus says again, one of the scariest verses in the Bible, verse 35, my heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. If you choose not to forgive, God's gonna do the same thing to you. Well, what is that same thing? Well, first, the master turned this servant over to the torturers, turned him over to the tormentors. What does that mean? That means if we choose to hang on to unforgiveness, God is gonna turn us over to tormentors. And that will most likely be Satan and his demons who will be allowed to come into our life and torment us. The other thing that's scary is it says that he was gonna turn this man over until he should repay all that was owed him. Well, how is he possibly gonna repay 150,000 years of wages? It's impossible. It's a debt that he could never pay, which means he was gonna be turned over to the tormentors forever. We also have a debt that we can never repay, and that is the debt of our sins. We can never pay for our sins. Therefore, if we don't have the grace of God, if we don't have the blood of Jesus who died for us to cover our sins, to restore our relationship with God, if we don't have that, we're facing an eternity where we can never repay our debts. And that is frightening, that God would turn us over to the tormentors in this life, but also that we could face torment for eternity. Why? Because somebody hurt us. And we were not willing to let go of that hurt. We were not willing to let go of that pain. Listen to what the great theologian John Stott said. Once our eyes have been opened to see the enormity of our offense against God, the injuries which others have done to us appear by comparison extremely trifling. If, on the other hand, we have an exaggerated view of the offenses of others, it proves that we have minimized our own sin. Come on, if we truly understood how great the forgiveness of God was and how much we've truly been forgiven of and how great the grace of God is in our lives, if we truly understood that, then nothing that anybody could do to hurt us would compare to the forgiveness that we've already received. And it would be easy to forgive because it would be so small and so trifling compared to how God has given us. However, if we lose sight of how much we've been forgiven, if we minimize how bad our sin was, and we exaggerate the hurt against us, we tend to hold on to it. And so I believe, church, this is actually one of the greatest forms of hypocrisy, one of the greatest forms of religiosity that we could practice as followers of Christ is to walk around praising God and saying, thank you, Lord, for how much you've forgiven me. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you for the blood of Jesus in my life. And yet we have people that we haven't forgiven we have family members we haven't talked to in years. We have people that we're angry at and we don't even remember why we're angry anymore, but we stay angry. We've got whole families that we don't even talk to. That is our greatest hypocrisy and our greatest religiosity. God's grace is so great in our lives and his command to us is to forgive. So let's close here. I shouldn't say close because we still got several notes to look at, but let's shift here into the practical aspects. First question, why do we choose not to forgive? 
Why do we choose to hold on to all this unforgiveness? Number one, because we don't know how. This is simply a matter of learning a skill. How do I forgive? And so we're going to help you this morning by teaching you that skill. The other four are more a matter of your heart, though, not skill. The second one, we don't forgive because we don't believe the offender deserves it. They don't deserve my forgiveness. Well, here's the thing. You're probably right. They probably don't deserve forgiveness. But here's the thing. You know who else doesn't deserve forgiveness? You. You didn't deserve the forgiveness that Jesus forgave you. You know, people would talk to me sometimes when I share the gospel with them and they'd just say, you know, I just don't feel like I deserve all this goodness from God. And my answer to them is, good! You shouldn't feel like you deserve it because you don't. And God gave it to you anyway. And that person who hurts you may not deserve it, but give it to them anyway because Jesus forgave you and he's commanded us to forgive them. Another reason why we choose not to forgive is because we haven't punished them enough. We say to ourselves, we'll forgive them eventually, but I need to keep them under my thumb for just a little bit longer. There's still a little bit more pain or remorse that I need to inflict back on them. And, and so I need to punish them just a little bit longer and then I'll forgive them. Well, here's the problem. A little bit longer never seems to come because you'll never feel like you've punished them enough. The other problem is this, is God is the one who is allowed to punish. Why? Because God is perfect. God can be angry and punish people in his perfection. God knows the appropriate boundaries. God knows when to be merciful and when to be harsh. And God, who is long-suffering and can let things go on for a long time before he eventually brings judgment, God, because he is perfect, knows exactly how to punish. We are not perfect. And so we don't know the right boundaries. And we don't know the right time frame. And we don't know how to properly punish people. And so if you believe that you need to punish somebody for what they've done to you, what you're really doing is playing God. And there is nothing good or healthy about trying to play God. You know who really gets punished when we hold on to unforgiveness? Us. We're the ones that get punished. I've had people who have come to me after I haven't seen them in years. And they've come to me and they've said, Aaron, I've been mad at you for years. I held on to offense against you for years. And I just wanted to let you know about it. And I thought to myself, wow. You know, for all of those years, I went about my normal life. I wasn't being punished, but they were because they had held on to it for all of that time. Fourth reason why we hold on to it is because we believe we have a right to hold on to it. We have a right. We like to call it righteous anger. We're allowed to be angry. We're allowed to hold on to this hurt. Well, from the verses that we just read, no, we're not. In Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15, the imperative was on forgiveness. The imperative, the emphasis was on the fact that forgiveness is not an option. We don't have any right as followers of Christ, 
as citizens of the kingdom of God, we don't have any right to hold on to forgiveness. And the last reason why we hold on to unforgiveness is because we feel vulnerable. We're afraid that if we forgive somebody too easily, we're going to make ourselves vulnerable to being hurt again. Maybe by that person, maybe by another person. But that's not actually true. It's the unforgiveness that's actually making you vulnerable. Number one, because that unforgiveness is allowing God to turn you over to the tormentors and you have made yourself vulnerable to demonic torments. But the other reason that it makes us more vulnerable is because when we hold on to that unforgiveness, we make ourselves a victim and we live in a victim mentality. And within a victim mentality, we become a target for other people to victimize us. Forgiving too soon doesn't make you vulnerable. It's holding on to unforgiveness that makes us vulnerable. And so I'm going to encourage you today to forgive. I'm going to encourage all of us today to move forward and to begin to cancel these debts that we've held on to and to begin to set people free uh, from, from all these things that we have judged about them, but most importantly, to set ourselves free. And so you can see in your notes, we've given you the process of forgiveness and we've got four steps. Now, there's actually a lot more than four steps, but I felt like if I put more than four in your notes, it would overwhelm you. So each of these four steps maybe has some sub-steps to it that we're going to have to work out. But let's go through these really practically before we finish up this morning. Step number one, experience how great the grace of God is in your life. The greatest thing that is going to motivate us to forgive is remembering who we are remembering that we are God's chosen people, that God has brought us into his ohana, and, and that God has forgiven us all of our sins, and how amazing that grace is in our lives. And that as a part of his ohana, as followers of Christ, we should be reflecting his character and his nature. And his character and his nature is to be compassionate, and is to be merciful, and is to be forgiving. And so if you haven't taken time lately to express gratitude for how great the grace of God is in your life, if you haven't taken time lately to remember how great your sin was and how much God has forgiven you of, if you haven't taken time lately to remember just how broken you were apart from Jesus, just how awful of a person you had become left to your own devices, then let's take some time to re-experience that. Or if you're listening to this right now and you're not a follower of Christ, you have not made a decision to surrender your life and your will to Jesus, you have not received His grace and His forgiveness, then that would be a great place to start. Declare Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Embrace that Jesus died for you to pay the price for your every sin. And that when you surrender your life to Him, the blood that He shed on the cross forgives your every sin instantly and you are immediately made close to God and brought into God's family. And immediately, God's presence will come inside your life and begin to make you a new person. Hallelujah, that's great news. So that's the first step. Either receive the grace of God for the first time or let's take some time to remind ourselves how good God has been in our lives. That will motivate us to forgive. Step two is to repent of your unforgiveness. Before we deal with how you feel about the other person, 
Let's be honest with dealing about our, with ourselves and what we have chosen to do, right? What did Jesus say? We like to point out specks in other people's eyes, but we don't like to deal with the plank of wood that's in our own eyes. We need to deal with ourselves first, which means we need to repent of our unforgiveness. Confess to God that you have been unforgiving and declare to him that you're ready to change. Ask the Spirit of God to work in your heart to change you and to transform you. Ask God to soften your heart and those areas that have become hard and rigid because of all the pain and unforgiveness that you have held on to. Declare that you are loosing your soul and your body from all the negative effects and influences of the unforgiveness you have held on to, of the pain that you have held on to, all the ways that it has affected your mental health, all the ways it's affected your physical health, all the ways it's, it's affected your spirit and your connection with God and serving the kingdom of God. Loose your body from all of that. Ask God to heal all of that. And then ask the Holy Spirit to come in and heal every wound that has been caused in your heart by other people. You might need to take this one at a time, and that's what we're gonna get into in the next step, but ask the Holy Spirit to come in and to begin to hurt all of those wounds. You see, when you've chosen not to forgive, what you've done is you have slammed the door shut and not allowed the Holy Spirit to come in and heal. So right now what we're doing is we're opening the door to our spirit, and we're asking the Holy Spirit to come in and heal. Step three, remember and feel the incident of offense. You might have a lot of them that you've got to deal with. Let's take them on one at a time. Maybe you're going to have to get out a pad of paper. And in a time of prayer, ask God to reveal to you each person that you're holding unforgiveness against. And then ask God to reveal to you each event where that person wounded you. Maybe they meant to, maybe they didn't. Maybe they know they hurt you. Maybe they don't know they hurt you. That doesn't matter. But ask God to reveal to you each person and then each event. And then you might want to take this one event at a time, one person at a time. The first thing is to allow yourself to remember what that person did to you and how it made you feel. Why is this important? Because if we don't allow ourselves to feel this, if we don't allow the emotions to come to the surface, then the Holy Spirit's not going to be able to heal them. And so we can't just say, oh, well, Lord, I just forgive everybody who hurt me. Amen, I'm done. No, you didn't open up any doors. You didn't allow any pain to come to the surface. You didn't really deal with anything. The more specific we get, the more effective this is going to be. And so with each of these events, remember how it made you feel. Remember how the person hurts you and allow that to come to the surface and then ask the Holy Spirit to begin to heal it. And then the last part of this step is to tell God every negative belief that you're holding about that person. Every negative judgment you've passed against this person. Tell God, Lord, because this person hurt me, I believe that they're an awful person. I believe that they're selfish. I believe that they're out to get me. I believe that they are unkind and uncaring. All the beliefs that you have held in your heart against that person, declare all of those to God. Get all of those beliefs out in the open so God can deal with them.
And finally, step four, declare unconditional forgiveness of the offender in spite of your feelings or beliefs. Unconditional forgiveness. Even if you don't like the person, even if you don't want to like the person, unconditional forgiveness. So what are you going to do? You're going to take all the charges that you have held against that person and you're going to nail them to the cross of Christ. The same way Jesus nailed all of your charges to the cross. You're going to nail all those charges to the cross. You're going to take every negative judgment you have passed against that person and you're going to give it to Jesus. Say, here, Jesus, you take it. I'm taking the fish off of my hook and Jesus, I'm putting it on your hook. Lord, you deal with this person. If they need to be punished, Lord, you punish them. If they need mercy, Lord, you show them mercy. Loose the offender from the power of any negative words you have spoken about them. Cancel any curse you have spoken against that person. If you've declared any ill will towards them, if you've wished any bad thing to happen to that person, cancel the curse in prayer before God. And then declare the offender is not responsible to you anymore. You're canceling all of the debts. They don't owe you anything anymore. And then the last part of this step is also cancel any blame that you've placed on God. How ridiculous it is that when we're holding on to hurts and God has made the pathway for us to be free from those hurts, that we blame God for the fact that we're holding on to Him. Cancel any blame that you've placed on God. Set yourself free from it. I'm going to encourage all of us this week. Just start with one. I don't want to overwhelm anybody. So just start with one. Ask God to bring to your remembrance this week just one offense that you need to forgive. And then I want you to apply all four of these steps to just that one offense. And what I want you to experience is that cage door lifting up as you take the fish off your hook and put it on God's hook and you walk out of that cage set free from that offense that you've allowed to keep you trapped for so long. And I want you to experience the relief and I want you to experience the joy that's come along with it. And even if you send me a text message or send me an email and let me know what you experienced this week, I would love to hear it. I would love to join you in prayer as, as you are set free from that unforgiveness. Just do one this week. And then maybe the week after you do another one. And maybe it becomes contagious and, and you just want to do more because you love how you're feeling. But all of us, Kauai Bible Church and anybody else watching this service, let's find one and let's put this into practice this week. Let me pray for you and then I want us to close with some more worship as we seal what God is doing in this time. Lord, God, I pray that you stir on each of our hearts. God, I pray that even as these five reasons why we have chosen not to forgive were spoken, Lord, that Holy Spirit conviction would come upon our hearts and we would recognize the reasons, the excuses that we have used for why we have held on to this pain. And Lord, you would set us free from that. Lord God, we lay down every excuse at your feet. We don't have any more rights to hold on to it, Lord. 
And then I pray, God, this week in our quiet time, would you speak to us about one person that we need to forgive? Speak to us about that one person. And then, Lord, give us the courage and the strength to go through this process of forgiveness. Remind us of how great your grace is. Remind us of what an impossible debt you have canceled in our lives. That, Lord, we would be motivated. God, we repent of our unforgiveness. Lord, help us to feel the hurt and then to release the hurt to you. Holy Spirit, come in and heal that hurt. Holy Spirit, we release to you every negative belief, every reason we've believed that we can still punish that person and we're releasing to you, Lord. We're releasing to you all debt that that person owes. We cancel it right now in Jesus' name. The same way you canceled our debt to you. Lord, we cancel their debt to us. Set us free, Lord. Set us free in Jesus' name. Come on, church, let us worship together this morning.